Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, a weekly podcast from ETF.com, wrapping up the week in ETFs and markets. I'm Managing Editor Heather Bell, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Samit Roy. Hey, everyone. And Sean Aloka. Hello. So... We're going to kick off by, with a discussion of what's going on at the Inside ETFs conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Sean and Samit are both there. They've been talking to people. They've been sitting on, in on sessions and basically taking the pulse of the ETF industry. And then we'll segue into a kind of like wrap up of, you know, the first five months of the year in terms of launches and closures as we've come to the end of May recently. So, Sean, to me, do you want to take it away and give me any, give us any insights you may have had while attending the conference? Sure, Heather. It's been a good conference. I've been enjoying myself. This year's Inside ETFs is a little bit different than in years past. I think it's three different conferences kind of wrapped into one. It's a little different than the Exchange Conference, which we all went to earlier this year. That one was more dedicated exclusively to ETFs. This one, ETFs are one portion of it. I did get sit in on a couple interesting panels, and the one that really stood out to me was this one on ESG, which is a hot topic, as we all know. Eric Balchunas was the moderator of that panel, and I really enjoyed it because he took the gloves off, and he asked the questions that most people want to know. None of that softball stuff that you kind of hear in, in other interviews. And I did respect the panelists as well because they had good answers to his questions. Um, they basically started off talking about that whole controversy with Tesla, and they talked about why Tesla wasn't a clear-cut ESG stock, even though on the surface it seems like it would be, right? That essentially, of course, comes down to how big a weight you put on environmental factors versus social and governance factors. Tesla plays a big part in carbon reduction, but the panelists said that there's some controversy about the work environment at his factories and how much the firm depends on one man to run it, which kind of dings it when it comes to governance. Another thing uh, they talked about, which I found interesting, is the idea of how much impact ESG has on real-world outcomes. We know it makes investors feel good about themselves, but does it have an impact in the real world, and according to Reed, Ste- Reed Steedman, I think is his name, he, he's, the, he's the guy who's representing S&P on the panel, and he said it does have an impact. He said companies call them up, call up S&P all the time, asking how they can improve their ESG scores so that they can be added to or maintain their positions in S&P's ESG indices. So that's kind of a big deal. I didn't know that. ESG investing, apparently, and ESG scores do motivate companies to, quote, do good. Now, that, of course, brings me to another big theme of the panel, which is uh, that ESG and doing good are kind of subjective, subjective topics, right? One person's idea of doing good 
could be contrary to another person's idea of doing good. And so the panelists, they essentially agreed, yeah, this isn't a black and white thing. They said all they can really do is offer investors choices and then let investors choose what strategy that appeals to them. And in, and in the cases where they're trying to create a benchmark or a broad ESG index or fund for something like that, then they're just trying to reach a consensus view of what ESG is. And obviously that's not an easy thing to do. No index or fund is going to appeal to every investor, but that doesn't mean it's not worth trying uh, to make these things. Because like the panel said, there is a lot of demand from investors. In fact, according to them, it's investors who are demanding these products rather than these asset managers and index providers pushing these onto investors. So I really like that panel. thought it was really interesting. How about you, Sean? Anything interesting out there? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I echo a lot of what you just said. I mean, we, we actually bumped into Eric kind of in the lobby after his talk, um, Sunit and I, and yeah, I mean, he was still kind of just jazzed up about it and talking about it, and it's, it's just such a complex issue that regulators have to take on with ESG. I think you're spot on with what, what the panel said to me, that this is a lot investor-driven, probably even more you know, than it being pushed on investors from asset managers. So it's, an, it's a very interesting dynamic. How do you define this? I have no idea. I think the SEC is trying to take the broadest possible kind of definitions and, and work from there. I mean, this is a compounded by the, the fact that European regulators just earlier this week uh, raided some offices there over some allegations of over greenwashing. Um, the CEO stepped down. So, I mean, at least European regulators are signaling the likelihood of increased scrutiny. The SEC here stateside has been making some rulemaking last week about naming some of these funds. So there's actually action happening. What, what that looks like is, is anyone Anyone's guess at this point. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I think that was that was that was the that was the, um, the session that everyone was serving. I would add to the session another session from early in the week. I think you had just gotten in. It was on Monday, Sami, but it was the one with um, it was Margarita Chen and uh, the and Nouriel Rubini, the professor of economics from NYU. This I heard about that one. Stern School of Business. He's been he's I mean he's well known for being all gloom and doom and, um, you know, doesn't have a great, very positive outlook a lot of the times. And he, he did just that. I mean, it was 40 minutes of kind of really contrarian views on Bitcoin. I mean, he just hates Bitcoin. And he gave five reasons, I think it was five, why he hates cryptocurrencies. And honestly, they, he, they all make perfect sense when he lays it out to you. At some time, he thinks it's a huge speculative bubble bursting. Uh, he caught, I think cryptocurrency is a joke assets, there's no utility, they're not a stable store of value, they're not even a cryptocurrency. Even that is calling it a currency, huge misnomer and does you know a, a disservice to investors. So it was just fun to hear, like you said, with you know pulling out pulling off the, the, the uh, gloves and just kind of cutting through some of just the, the talking points that you often hear at these conferences was kind of refreshing. And I think the, the panelists did a good job of, of doing that. They're like, is he actually positive on anything or is he just negative on everything? <laughs> Um, it, it was pretty negative. I mean, even with the <laughs> macroeconomic conditions, he he said it. He was he was not calling for a soft landing, and he wasn't even calling it a hard landing. 
Uh, I think he was calling like a crash landing or something. He, he <laughs> does it. not have any kind of rose tinted glasses on at all. I think he's pretty, pretty well known for that. And yeah, he did visit. All right. Yeah. Um, but, and, and yeah, and other than that, I'd just say um, it's, it was well worth it. Like you said, I mean, there's a great cast of, uh, of people here that the kind of roster that you see a lot of these events like Edelman and Michael Kitsis, Joe Duran had a great keynote. Um, so yeah, it's good turnout and who, you know, it's always great to get down to Florida in May, in the end of May. So definitely, definitely. And each day had some good panels. I just actually hopped into one just before, just before this podcast. And it was with Grayscale's head of ETFs, actually Dave LaVale, I think is the name. It was a solid session, right? I mean, nothing new, but he pretty much ran down all of the key points with regard to where we stand on spot Bitcoin ETFs. Grayscale is, of course, still waiting on a decision from the SEC on whether they can convert GBTC into an ETF. Who knows if that's going to happen or not, but Dave reiterated that if and when that happens, GBTC is going to immediately trade back up to its NAV. That's, of course, going to be great for anyone sitting in that fund because last I checked, it was trading at a 30% discount to its NAV. Another interesting thing he hinted at um, was that the SEC is being kind of inconsistent with regard to the types of funds that it allows to trade versus those that uh, it doesn't. He talked about, um, you know, the SEC has complained there's a lack of surveillance sharing agreements between crypto exchanges, so that's one reason they're not approving a spot Bitcoin ETF. But he said that's not much different than what goes on in the fixed income markets. In fact, he suggested the crypto markets were more evolved than the fixed income markets in many cases, since the fixed income markets are often one-to-one relationship driven over-the-counter markets. Yet that hasn't stopped the SEC from approving all sorts of fixed income ETFs. Of course, that kind of argument is not going to change the SEC's mind. You can't go say, hey, SEC, you're being inconsistent. Um, so I don't think that's going to really work. Um, but, you know, it's still interesting, right? This idea that there are inconsistencies. Another area where we see that is, you know, leveraged and inverse ETFs. Everyone talks about how risky those are, yet they're trading on the market. Um, and a Bitcoin ETF is not on the market. You can make the case easily that leveraged and inverse ETFs are more risky than Bitcoin ETFs. So food for thought. Um, but, yeah, great, great conference. I agree. Yeah, actually, that that's sentiment that there's futures ETFs, but not a uh, but not a spot Bitcoin ETF, which is exactly just, like you know, they're so similar. Yeah, we have one yeah. and not the other. And one of the panelists on my on my panel actually was arguing that the futures is is riskier. Those are more you know options and more risky kind of um, you know traditionally more risky plays for investors, and yet that's perfectly. Um, you know, they allow that, but not the spots. So a lot of crypto stuff. And maybe, maybe I'll give one more synopsis before we kick it over to Heather. She, um, she couldn't be here with us. But um, I think the big one, we might be remiss if we didn't talk about the celebrity keynote. They, they brought in Eli and Archie Man. Standing room only in the big ballroom. Um, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised. They did a lot of stuff about the family and how Peyton growing up, they were picking on each other. Eli actually said last week they went to, him and, and Pey- Peyton went to... Um, their parents' house, and he actually gave him an atomic wedgie, uh, which was one of the highlights of his career. He said, which is funny, but they also had a finance hook too, where they kind of talked about 
how many professional athletes lose a lot of their um, a lot of their money that they make because of, of not planning properly, not having a financial plan, and maybe not understanding um, finance as well as they should. And the average lifespan, I think, of an NFL player is like three and a half years or something. You make a ton of money, you get this instant cash, and then you know you're not used to it, and they kind of you overspend. As a Giants fan, I guess I always take, always listen to Eli. They talked about, you know, eating Brady twice in the Super Bowl and stuff. It was a good, it was a good. Story. Awesome. That sounds like a good one. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll let Heather kind of take us away with some of the, some of the launches that she saw this week while she was holding down the fort uh, back <laughs> at UCF.com headquarters. Well, while you guys were off to Florida, I was covering kind of like the last of May. So we ended up with a total of 171 launches by the end of May, and that compares with 154 um, during the same time period last year. So the thing about that is that's 17 more funds than launched last year in the same time period, but that gap is kind of narrowing. We started off strong, and this is just another thing to blame on Vladimir Putin because after he... Russia invaded Ukraine. There was an abrupt kind of like slowdown for a week, and it hasn't really gone back to the prior levels. Um, last year was a record-breaking year, so it's not entirely clear that we're going to catch up, especially with, you know, the economy looking so uncertain, that crash landing um, that Noriel Rabini was talking about. So that's all playing into that slowdown. Um, and there's... There were some very outsized months last year in the latter half of the year. So like September last year had 67 new launches. That's huge. That's a lot of new ETFs. Um, the other interesting thing about the launches so far this year is active is still outpacing passive. That's kind of a new development in the last couple of years. But it's also the active launches are also kind of slowing down a little. The split was closer to 70-30 last year as opposed to 60-40. And then if you come down and the line and look at closures, we've actually had an uptick in closures this year. 37 funds have shut down so far with another few scheduled to do the same later in the year. Um, but by this time last year, we had only had 21 closures. So, you know, but that's not really a hard pace to match because last year was one of the slowest years for closures that we've had in a decade. I don't know. Will this be another record-breaking year? Maybe, but I kind of doubt it. It looks like things are kind of grinding to a sl much slower pace. Do you guys have anything uh, you'd like to add? Yeah, well, that's yeah, it's super interesting. Is there any reason why I've seen this slowdown? Anything that could kind of jumps out at you? After coming up, I mean, you hear about the inflows coming into into the passive space and record numbers last year. Anything that kind of jumps out at you? Or? Um, I, I really do think it was just the economic uncertainty introduced by the invasion of Ukraine and also the spiking of inflation um, so high. It just creates a lot of economic uncertainty at the global level, and I think that's kind of making people a little more conservative or issuers a little more conservative about what they're actually going to put in the market right now. Uncertainty is never good for anybody in the markets. This is true. This is true. 
Well, we should probably leave it there. Thanks for joining me, guys. Listeners, if you'd like to join us again next week, we'll be here same time, same place. Thanks a lot. Have a good weekend. Thanks, everybody. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.